Welcome. This is Crime Noir, a true crime podcast telling our stories. And I'm your host, Candace, and this is Case 16, The Murder of Erica Green. Welcome back to yet another episode of Crime Noir. We are on case 16. And before I jump into today's episode, I like to give a trigger warning that although this episode does not feature explicit language, this episode does highlight the gruesome murder of a child. If you are sensitive to this type of content, I highly suggest you turn to a less gruesome case because this one is extremely violent. And I've covered lots of cases, as you guys know, but this one disgusts me the most so far. And it just takes the cake because it's just extremely gruesome. And I felt ill when I was reading the details. So I'm just letting you guys know now. If you do decide to continue listening, I plan on telling you guys um, to skip ahead if you don't want to hear exactly like how she died or whatever. So let's just jump into the episode. So Erica Green was born on May 15th, 1997, and she was tragically murdered on April 28th, 2001. She was just three years old at the time she was violently murdered. It all started on April 28th, 2001, when a man reported to authorities that his elderly friend wandered away from home. Two officers summoned for the task began looking for the gentleman in a wooded area in Kansas City to locate him. After a few moments of searching, the elderly man was found, but as the policemen were leaving, they found a headless body of a naked little girl. On May 1st, search efforts were underway to find the little girl's head. The search was relentless, but eventually, after about four hours, they were able to find her head as they heard the sound of insects buzzing and spotted a plastic trash bag wedged between an old tire and a rock. Inside the bag was a head deteriorated. Disgusting, y'all. Thanks to technology, the child's decomposed head was able to be reconstructed using computer software. They were able to create an image with a beautiful, bright-eyed black girl with her hair and cornrows. The baby was thought to be around three or four years old, and her body was only in the woods for about three, four days before it was found. Who had murdered her and why? Why would you hurt a little girl to the point that you have to violently remove her head? The little black girl was dubbed Precious Doe. The Kansas City community rallied to get her identified. Volunteers raised money. They handed out flyers. They even organized rallies to bring justice for this little girl discarded like trash. An autopsy on Precious Doe uncovered a lot of information. She had suffered multiple injuries to her head, and there were various cuts on her scalp and face. There was even a reward up to $33,000 at one time. She was featured several times on America's Most Wanted. The community was determined to not let her death be in vain. But eventually, the case went cold. In December 2001, the medical examiner for the Jackson County allowed the body to be released for a funeral and burial. During this time, another composite sketch was created of the baby girl. Police even exhumed her body so that the sketch could be done. Finally, a break in the case happened in spring 2005. This is how Erica was identified. I I don't know if I explained it, but Erica was not identified initially when she died. 
A man from Oklahoma gave a tip to police indicating that he knew Precious Doe's identity, her mother, and also the name of her killer. This Oklahoman man by the name of Thurman McIntosh had called numerous times before, but police didn't find his story credible or didn't follow up. So like, what the heck? So finally, on May 5th, 2005, Precious Doe got her identity, which was Erica Michelle Marie Green of Oklahoma. Her mother is Michelle Johnson, and Michelle worked as a sex worker and gave birth to Erica while she was in prison. Michelle's partner was Harrell Johnson, who had previously been a client of hers. Both of them had previous criminal records. It is reported that Michelle and Harrell went to Kansas City in spring 2001 to look for work. Erica had accompanied them, and they all collectively stayed with relatives. So during this visit, one night Erica refused to go to bed while Harrell was drunk and drugged up on PCP and he ended up kicking Erica in the head. After kicking her, he threw her on the floor and then left her there unconscious for two days. She remained on the floor for two days, basically dead, but not really because she was unconscious. And her worthless parents were so scared that they'd be arrested because they both had um, warrants that they did not get help for her. And two days later, she died. If you don't want to hear something nasty, skip these next like maybe 30 seconds. So then Harrell took it upon himself to decapitate her with hedge trimmers to conceal her identity. And that's how her body was found with no head because this demon cut her head off with hedge clippers. And if you don't know what those are, I will include them on my Instagram post so you guys can see. So after these losers concealed the death of their child, they got married in 2002 and they just went about their lives like they hadn't violently murdered a child and then mutilated her body and discarded her like trash. So just I don't even know how these people could have lived with themselves knowing that they had just betrayed this three year old girl's trust. Don't even like don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. But anyway, He ended up getting locked up and he wrote letters to Michelle expressing remorse and regret for some unnamed incident. So to bring this full circle, the guy that initially gave um, police a tip, Thurman, is Harrell's grandfather. And he actually read the letters that Michelle received from Harrell while he was in jail. So I think he was making like inferences and put two and two together. So Thurman called the police regarding Erica's murder in 2004, and he actually had called the police approximately 50 times to relay information regarding what he knew, but the police didn't find it credible or didn't follow up. So clearly they weren't, you know, very invested in solving the case because this guy had the scoop. Anyway, Thurman eventually confronted Harrell regarding the murder and Thurman then gave the information to police that only the killer would have known, which led to them getting a big break in the case. Other family members had witnessed the abuse of Erica. Jennifer and Harrell moved in with Harrell's cousin Lawanda Driscoll in April 2001. And during this period, LaWanda indicated that Harrell's treatment of Erica was abusive. He would beat her for doing little things like refusing to eat and crying. Mind you, this is a three-year-old little girl. That's what they do. That's what three-year-olds do. Then one day, LaWanda heard a loud bang that came from Erica's room. 
and Erica was kept in the room for two days. Harrell and Michelle told LaWanda that Erica was sick. They then lied and said they took Erica to live with the woman who first raised Erica, and they never. And then LaWanda never saw Erica again. So over the course of four years, Michelle and Harrell would also lie to other family members and say that she was staying with somebody or just make up stories as to where the little girl was. So my take on all of this is that you see your niece, nephew, whatever, getting harmed and you don't do anything about it. I have a niece and if I didn't see her in four years, I would be alarmed. Like, where was the family checking in on this little girl? I feel like everybody felt her, especially the mom. Like, come on, mom, you birthed this child and you know your husband, your future husband kicked her in the head and killed her and you still continue to go on and marry him, just like worthless all around. So on September 13, 2007, Michelle pled guilty to second degree murder as a part of her plea deal. She agreed to testify against Harrell, who was actually charged with first degree murder. She was given a 25 year sentence in exchange for her testimony. In her testimony, she indicated that Harrell was high on drugs. He then picked up his feet and kicked Erica on the side of her face. Michelle allegedly confronted Harrell and asked him what the F he was supposed to do. And apparently he was in shock from what he had done. He was shook and it had shaken him so much that he got out of his high. Michelle testified that she put Erica in a tub of cold water, but Erica never gained consciousness. She then put Erica on the bedroom floor and stayed there for two days and Erica died. After her testimony, a Kansas City jury deliberated for only three hours before finding Harrell guilty of Erica's death and her decapitation. He was also convicted of endangering the welfare of a child and abuse of a child. Harrell was sentenced to life without parole on November 21st, 2008. As I was researching this case, um, I did see he was up for the death penalty, but I think um, giving him the death penalty would have been an easy way out, and I, I believe he deserves to rot in jail. So I'm glad the jury gave him life without parole, and I hope he lives to be at least like 100 years old. That would be good. So some interesting tidbits regarding this case. Um, Erica's biological father, Larry Green, ended up suing Oklahoma Department of Human Services and the Department of Corrections and the University of Oklahoma Medical Center over her death. He filed the lawsuit in 2010, and it was actually settled for an undisclosed amount of money. He uh, sued them for not turning over the child after she was born in uh, prison and because of this lawsuit, there is a development of procedures to be known as Erica's Rule, which ensures that babies born to prison inmates are referred to DHS for placement in a safe home. And I just think that's like a pretty interesting tidbit, and I'm glad that he won. And that pretty much wraps up today's case. I don't have too many theories on this one because it's solved. Again, like I always say passionately in every episode that has to do with children, if you see something going on weird, abusive with a child, talk to them. Do something about it. Care. Don't live your life with regret And if something happens to them. Do be proactive. And that's all I have to say. And let's get into some noir news. I have two stories I'd like to briefly talk about today. 
I know last um, episode I mentioned that I was waiting for the verdict of Amber Geiger. And as many of my listeners are probably aware of that she was sentenced to 10 years. Um, How do I feel about that? I don't think it's enough time and I can't understand why they came to that conclusion. I'm a little befuddled by the judge's um, decision to outwardly pour motion onto this lady. Um, She is a murderer and I'm not sure how that would be extended to other murderers. I thought the, the, the courtroom displays were a lot and not so much from Mr. Jean's family because they're entitled to feel how they want to feel. This is their birth, this is their cross to bear, not necessarily ours. So I have no judgment for them hugging or doing what they need to do to comfort themselves and find peace within themselves. However, the judge and the cop that were like outwardly showing this lady affection is completely strange to me. Um, I know the judge did. Um, I don't even know her name. I don't even care to know her name, honestly. Um, the judge did do an interview where she's boohoo crying. I guess I'll take a look at it. Or maybe one of my listeners can tell me what's going on. But I just find the whole outward affection to this murderer um, strange. And I hope I never see anything like that again. I do think the sentence is a little light, but I am happy that she is at least in jail. And I know that's the bars on the floor, but that's just how I feel about it. And I'm actually curious to know how you guys feel about it. I've, like I said, I've been tapped into Twitter and I've seen a lot of outrage. I've seen some people kind of like in the middle. Well, if the family's cool, then I'm cool. So just like, let me know what y'all think. And my next story is um, about Samuel Little. He is a serial killer that um, has killed, he's confessed to killing at least 90 women. Um, but the FBI came out this week and said that he's, com- they confirmed at least 50 of those murders and they actually need help identifying some of these ladies. I am going to post a link to some of the drawings so you guys can take a look at it for yourselves and Maybe somebody out there can identify some of these ladies that were unfortunately murdered. And sorry, to jump back to the Amber Geiger trial, I know there's been a lot of conspiracy theories regarding Joshua Brown, and I actually don't have an opinion on it because I'm waiting for more facts regarding it. But it is kind of suspicious that the key witness um, was murdered, what, a week after trial, so... Just both of these things going on, the Samuel Little, the Amber Geiger, a lot of things going on in true crime land, and I will definitely always keep you guys updated. I appreciate when you guys tag me into stuff on Twitter, Um, but that wraps up today's episode, and as always, I appreciate you guys for listening to me. Please subscribe to me on iTunes. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at CrimeXNoir. You can find me on follow me on Instagram at Crime Noir the Podcast. And I will talk to you guys next week. Bye. <laughs>